Circuit Cast with your host, Mark Amory. Kia ora koutou, listeners, welcome to Circuit Cast, discussion on moving image and art from Aotearoa and beyond. This cast, we take a Wellington field trip. First, to Toy Pornaki Gallery, where we meet up with Terry Tito of Mata Aho Collective about their installation Kao Kao. Then it's up the big hill to Adam Art Gallery for a walk with Kim Peters through What is a Life, a survey exhibition of seven years of her paintings and video. But first, to our critical panel, and the subject, a group exhibition of Tongan contemporary art, Tonga i Unapuni, at Pātika. And welcoming back to the pod, regulars and fellow Palangi, Martin Patrick and Thompson Slay. Kia ora, guys. Kia ora. Hi. So uh, caught the train, drove out to Pātika, great museum out there in Porirua. What were your first impressions walking into this show? I was, I have to admit, I sort of approached it with a, a maybe a little bit of uh, trepidation. Obviously in Palangi, I've never been to Tonga, let, let alone um, speak any Tongan or have a, a real kind of understanding of Tongan art and culture. Um, so I didn't, I felt uncertain about from where my uh, my, my critique or, or my understanding or uh, my interpretation of the work from where that would, would come from. Um, but what was really amazing uh, after I'd kind of walked through the show was that the, I found the show as, mu- as much about explicating that, that context, but it was also about looking in at it. And a number of the artists uh, haven't actually, or one of them had just recently been to Tonga herself. So um, Julian Hooper's never been. And Julian Hooper's never been. So I felt like it was really smartly curated in, in, in that sense. And... Um, there were a, a number of kind of ways in which you could approach or kind of um, intersect uh, with the work from from various kind of cultural understandings. Yeah, yeah. it's a, 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 a that's a really great point for me. Nina Tong has curated a show where it's not so much a show of contemporary Tongan art. There is such a thing, but it is contemporary art by New Zealanders of Tongan extraction, or who are all very much mixed. Many of them are mixed, you know, mixed ethnicities, mm. and that's in the, the program. So there's a lot of talk around tensions between cultures and spaces and the perceptions mm. of the sort of inside outside things that bind us, which was very uh, involving. Mm. Well, I thought that was something that, uh, as as you're bringing up there, the notion that um, identities are never singular, and so particularly in the day and age we live in, with a lot of diaspora and travel, and such that I mean voluntarily people will move from place to place but also the fact that um, I don't know when the figure dates from but in the uh, the curators catalog mentioned that there were 50,000 citizens in New Zealand of Tonga descent and so because of that there is quite a presence here but that presence would be also modulated by their experiences here and as you say not all of them will have had first-hand experiences in in Tonga but the it's really interesting this notion of how does one speak between cultures and I think that was one of the themes of the of the show in a way. What work stood out for you Tom? Well kind of in relation to what I was saying uh, before um, Lucy Akofalu her work um, her video work she's got a sort of a tripartite video work of three screens and I spent you know I watched I watched it through a couple of times um, actually and Lucy had uh, she'd went to went to Tonga I think it was last year with her father for the first time so the work was very much about kind of approaching the space and sort of seeking to um, articulate it visually but I thought it was very clever in it's kind of editing and also the cropping of of this of the images on screen 
oftentimes the sort of heads were cropped out or uh, the kind of stable borders um, of spaces were, weren't there. So it was very, uh, you really got the sense of a kind of open, uh, not static, watery kind of space and her sort of seeking to understand it. And so, yeah, for me, for me as a viewer, I was kind of momentarily um, aligned with the artist in that sense of, of, of seeing this new, this new space. Yes, I'm really intrigued by that work. So there's a kind of sense of you're moving between islands, both at nighttime and the daytime, and uh, it's quite disorientating. Some, there's a, it's a three-screened work, so sometimes the screens are, some of the screens are black, mm. and there's a sort of an awkwardness about it, and I still can't get my head around whether there's a feeling of the work feeling unresolved or whether it's just a kind of a feeling of disorientation that that, that work has. It's continued to ask lots of questions of me because the work is deliberately disorientating. Some of the boat trips are through through night and you're just seeing a sort of a a floating bobbing uh, sort of station where the boat is coming in and there's a focus on on the sort of utilitarian just moving of of goods yeah rather than on people yeah i was really really taken with that and sort of actually found that the irresolution the kind of the point the point of it in a way and that there isn't uh that kind of dichotomy between water and terrestrial space that there's a difference there to the way you negotiate the world and kind of understand it in a place where there's so much more water than than land yeah it sort of felt to me in in the editing and that kind of slightly loose approach that was sort of seeking to understand that way of being Martin, what about you? Are the particular works that stood out? I thought both some of the videos and also some of the still images were quite striking uh, of the video and, and moving image works. I think the um, the installation that was called Who Will Douse the Kingdom was quite strong mm. and uh, really powerful. In the, I mean, it talks about uh, and addresses street riots that happened in Nuku uh, Alofa in uh, November 2006 and the hometown of the artist uh, Vea Mafil O. I, I had heard that the original or some of the other iterations of uh, showing this particular work, which incorporates documentary footage of different types, was um, a lot more spatially um, uh, installed, like in, in terms of uh, multiple screens and so forth. It was seen as a digital carver circle, so yeah. like essentially a circle of monitors. I yeah, think, yes. I think so. And then Tetui has had this work uh, um, installed before, I believe. And and um, but I felt that in the install, it was one of the weaker points of the uh, exhibition uh, that we viewed recently was that the installation of it made it a little difficult to spend as much time um, and and a very powerful work that might have been better if it had Mm. uh, a little bit more of a spatial installation or kind of a dark space because there's a lot to think about looking at that work. Mm. I totally agree and I, I sort of felt like as well the Carver Circle is this really interesting, as I understand it, sort of cultural and political space in which you can articulate uh, p- sort of specific viewpoints or, or not, as the case may be. If you're male. If you're male, <laughs> yeah. Which the doesn't. <laughs> yeah, and so I felt like um, to kind of put it in to put it in that shape would be a- another kind of interesting layer about how you how you're able to express kind of political agency or voice. There's some restrictions there, I think, with the particle space, perhaps, and um, I, I couldn't even hear. There's two screens. One has this, the the footage of the of the riots, which is very much in, in amongst the action, and mm-hmm. I loved. It was refreshing for me that it wasn't like soundbitey or or mm-hmm. the very long shots yeah. and really interesting shots after the riots of the sort of raised 
vacant concrete spaces where kids were playing, this kind of sense of creating open space and not so much telling us what to think, but creating space for us to think about it. But on the other screen, uh, interviews, I think, with, with men in carver circles, but I couldn't, I could barely hear them in the gallery. I don't know how it was mm -hmm. when you were in there. Yeah, it was kind it was of difficult. Yeah. It was difficult. Uh, the other work, um, the video work, uh, John Veyer's work about uh, where the, the, the artist is, is rather rather interesting work uh, called Tribute to Samoa, America, Samoa and Tonga, where it's a performance work where we watch the artist sort of workmanlike sort of build a wall out of concrete blocks, out of cinder mm. blocks in the surf at Piha and uh, the, the blocks continue, the wall continues to, to collapse and he uh, will be eaten away underneath and he has to constantly rebuild it and he does this in a very gentle, quiet, sort of steadfast way. I, I, I rather liked it, but again, I had a bit of trouble with the sort of fussy ornamentation of it being uh, projected. Projected on, on the on, same on, type actually, of block. On the yeah. blocks, yeah. it seemed yeah. a bit fussy. Yeah. yeah, and it made it really actually hard to see some of the, the sort of detail and nuance of the video work, which I just, I just wanted to see that. Um, um, but yeah, otherwise I found it quite sort of mesmerizing and repetitive mm. and um, yeah, brought to my mind the kind of obviously the, that sort of evident threat of, of climate change and how that might change your relationship with the sea around your island. Yeah, yeah, I found that problematic that the, it was a sort of redundancy that I think was unnecessary that I'm not uh, too interested in that that choice of screening because it was a really kind of shimmering, interesting, you know, um, work in terms of its qualities but they seem to be diffused and kind of um, uh, detracting you know that installation I mm. think I think between the photography and the video there's a re real sense with work of a real engagement with playing with ideas around the documentary and performance and the way artists work in a so as a sort of independent media uh, the uh, artist I think Terry Kolamatangi Clavin's uh, mm -hmm. photography is very interesting mm -hmm. in terms of it being documentary but it being about his family mm -hmm. the ability to sort of be inside and outside of your family in terms of photography was interesting to me mm. well there are there were there were I think on both um, uh, both that work and um, uh, some of the other uh, documentary um, uh, photographs like uh, Emily Mafilo's um, documentary style work but very large scale kind of images of members of the community that were obviously involved with some kinds of gang activities and so forth were you might think it almost a ready-made subject for documentary but I thought it was quite interesting the interpretation and the framing of those works yeah yeah I would have liked to have seen more actually and one thing before we finish is that there is always a slight discomfort and you sort of were raising this at the beginning Thompson about being three palangi sort of talking about yeah, Pacific sure. Island work and there not being that perspective in the room and this is something this country has gone through a lot in the last 20 years with Māori work which I still don't think is resolved. We do not have enough Māori writers, critics, uh, commentators in the media mm -hmm. who can kind of actually look at the work sort of I guess with a closer understanding but also maybe uh, an, another sort of I guess mainstream perspective as well and uh, in some ways, we we see less of that work. That work is talked about less because we're afraid to talk about it. it. Sort of, it isolates it further. And Martin, you mentioned off air before that there is a Pacifica residency at Massey. Yes, there is, and there's um, a, a pretty um, uh, energetic committee um, uh, dealing with um, uh, efforts to really uh, engage with uh, Pacifica practice more broadly and also across um, the College of. Um, of creative art. I think it's really it's really sort of beholden on institutions I think to facilitate the the growth in that critical discourse and infrastructure because you know in many ways the art world in its inverted commas is a pretty opaque kind of space 
and can be quite hard to kind of uh, integrate with and so as many sort of opportunities as we can is to build a sort of a kind of institutional space for people to build their skills and and learn how to kind of to to speak is uh, was really beneficial. Well, we're here on Circuit Cast, and as you can probably tell from the Atmos, we're not in a small cold bunker in Newtown anymore, but up the hill at Victoria University at Adam Art Gallery for Kim Peters' uh, survey show, What is a Life? Seven Years of Painting, Video and Drawings and Photography. And kia ora, Kim. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Well, it's a multi-leveled space, and some mm. would say some of the spaces are quite tricky. Um, and you're working in all sorts of interesting ways. You've got painting series that work across corners. You've got yep. video projections, which I'm more accustomed to seeing maybe from a gig, from a music gig, where the, ah. the, the, it's projected over many surfaces. Yes, there's a sort of crossover with uh, the film is uh, came in through music, like my involvement in music for about 10 years. But because I'm a photographer and I did a lot of movies... And then suddenly the technology was available to project on, over bands, and, and that was the first films I made. Right. And then I thought, oh, it was actually seeing a, um, a, a discrete image on the, on the screen and then listening to some music from people I knew at the same time, and I thought, oh, oh my God, this is a discrete event. It was sort of quite mm. interesting. I... And I thought, this works as a movie to itself. Can we wander down to these, the set of paintings here as well? So have a look at those titles. Uh, the Something Possible I Will Suffocate series. So we've got Men Were Caught by the Cold, They Dropped in Its Snare Like Silence. What do you, what do you expect people to get from, from these titles? Do you see them as openings or do you think they're... Are oh, definitely openings. Because people, yeah. what, what, you, you, they, they in a sense give clues, but they don't. They kind of yeah, just open right. up space. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm an abstract painter. I'm not talking about narratives at all. I'm not interested in a narrative. I'm not interested in a story. So usually the titles that I choose are enigmatic in the same way. So I often uh, choose use um, uh, poetry or philosophical statements or. So the titles often come from things you're reading, or yes, yeah, yeah. Can yeah, you give yeah. us another example? Well, if I stay stick with something possible, or I will suffocate. Uh, that comes from a discussion that uh, Deleuze talks about in a, in a book called Cinema Two that he wrote, which interested me a lot because actually reading that book made me realise why the videos worked. Just as a sidestep, it's interesting because he talks about autonomous spaces been put together in new wave cinema uh, and what that does to the head, what that does to thinking, uh, it creates a space that is like can't be contained or positioned or has to be repositioned each time because it's not clear what is happening in that space between, between two autonomous moments and um, I think that moment has always excited me and has ah. always been a motivation in my work. 
And so uh, finding it in different mediums is pretty interesting. The, yeah. the show is um, the Harbour Studio years, I think? Yes, that's it's right. The last seven years. Why that particular period? Well, I moved to those studios seven years ago. And it's, um, it's been a very productive and happy period of my life where I've done a, quite a huge body of work, obviously, <laughs> in that yeah, seven years. Yeah. And so um, I had a fire in... 98 and I lost 20 years worth of work so a survey show was actually quite difficult to put together when I talked with Tina about it so she thought maybe from the time the fire to to now but actually after the fire I didn't make much work because uh, when you it's a traumatic event and Mm. it affected me so I wasn't very I didn't start moving again uh, but a large body of work has been made since since the studio years. So it was a nice a nice sort of like framing of of a body of a time a space mm. of practice. And you you live and you work in Dunedin, and mm. there is a sense maybe of of a certain amount of isolation in that. We don't get to see your shows incredible a lot, and now we've no. suddenly got this great show here. <laughs> it's um it, it's, it's, is that something you you it's a choice obviously. Do you mm. um. Does it come with it? What, what, what sort of advantages does it come with, and what sort of what sort of things do you find are difficult? Um, oh, it's an interesting thing about thinking about a biography and about where you situate yourself and stuff. And me and Tina wrote a biography, and I thought there was something wrong with it. Uh, it talked about the shows you had and the other galleries, and then some public gallery shows and this and that and then I realised that actually what informs my work is the New Zealand Arts Underground which uh, I came across and have been involved in for 25 years When you say an underground some people will snort because they kind of see what's underground what's overground here you're on the Adam Art Gallery uh, do you mean the experimental music scene or is there a, is there a tradition what is the what, what what constitutes the underground? Well, exactly. There's there's an under there certainly is a very strong underground, especially in Dunedin. I think it, there's an underground in all the cities of New Zealand, but it ebbs and flows. But it's 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 especially acute in Dunedin because Dunedin is south and away yes. from uh, overground stuff. So the intelligence and the discussions in Dunedin are about the work itself rather than a career positioning. I think it's because it's cheap and people can live down there reasonably well and just concentrate on their work. Now, there's a lot of rubbish down there too, of course, but there is um, there's something that allows a practice, a strong practice to develop without interference from the rules. There are different laws. There's yeah. law, the law of the overground. So, Kim, we've just moved downstairs and we've got three video works here that are, are more traditionally presented, I guess you might say. They're on screens with uh, headphones and seats. It actually looks rather a nice, comfortable place to stop. The work is, is, is perhaps sometimes less comfortable, although the work sort of has this lovely textural glow to it. Some of these works are on the circuit website. Of course, it's a very different place to view them. I wondered how you made decisions about what you were going to show in the gallery. Um, 
it was, seemed quite clear what needed to be done just because of the spaces, I suppose. The uh, magnet has the beautiful dam uh, water going over the dam in, in a sort of like, to walk down into that. Yeah. I thought it would be fantastic. So that's got a very large projection as you come down the stairs, you're almost coming into it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's a physical relationship to yeah. the film, which is quite unusual and rather special for a video work in a, in a gallery space. Yeah. The, yeah, just the gravity. You're going down the stairs and the, the water's going down. It's beautiful. So that had to be there. But you know what? The sound is a really big part of all of these works. It's Absolutely. normally a, a single work, and there is, in terms of uh, a sound, and then often a single image or a slowly changing image. Um, how do you, what, what comes first? Does the sound sometimes come first, or the image? Or how, how the sound there? always comes first. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Um, and the sound is often made quite autonomously from the image. Like, people make albums, they make pieces of uh, files nowadays, they... They, um, so, like, the length of the film is the length of the album. This is Sleepwalk, is uh, film noir, but it's um, it's from Flies Inside the Sun. It's just one track from um, an album called An Audience of Others, including herself. It's a 20-minute track, so I made a 20-minute film. And do you go out and find an image that fits the track or are you collecting different images I all the time? I collect images all the time, just like photography like because the camera became a still camera then it turned into a movie camera and so like I just I just collect images so when I come to make a film I've, I find the music first and then I look through my collection and my archive of images and I think of the sensibility that might relate to the image, to the, to the films, to the sound. Do you always slow the work down? Always. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a quite an easy editing process. <laughs> what does it do? For, what does that do for you? There's a sense of it being somewhere between asleep and awake in some way. This kind of meditative space. I think but... I've seen. I always saw the slowdowns on TVs. Every now and again, they, you know, in the old days on TV, they'd slot stop someone and they'd go really slowly. And there was such grace, such when you slow something down. This is what uh, technology can do. You can just slow and. Your eye, the, you know, reality doesn't do that. <laughs> um, are you used to seeing your paintings and your film work together? No. No. Well, this is what interested me about the show, was putting all the different practices together and acknowledging them. Often people have thought of me as a musician or a filmmaker or a painter. Um, no one has ever thought of me as a photographer. But it's, uh, you know, like you do these things. You have a practice. You, I do things because I'm interested. I'm curious. And then I develop it, I finish it, because I'm curious at what it will look like in the end. I don't abandon projects. Kia ora you're just listening to Circuit Cast, and we've moved out of the studio down to 
Toy Pornicky Gallery down on Abel Smith Street. Look at the uh, Mata Aho work down here, Coco. And uh, we're talking to Terry Tatao. Kia ora. Kia ora. Oh. I wanted to ask you at first where uh, Mata Aho came, how you guys came together. Uh, well, we had the opportunity um, at the beginning of last year, 2013, um, to do uh, the summer residency at Enjoy. Yes. So we had four weeks together and uh, Claudia, the curator at the time, thought maybe it would be nice to transpose um, some ideas around wānanga and working together uh, into the gallery itself. So we kind of turned it into um, a kind of marae noho experience where we just, uh, the idea was to eat and sleep and work together in the space. And so we also employed ideas around te whare pōra, which customarily was where, you know, group of people, primarily it was feminine um, kind of textile work. People, women would come together and work. And, um, we sort of, so we sort of did it under that umbrella. Now there's a strong visual connection between this work and that wonderful work and enjoy in terms of the idea of a blanket or a large piece of unfolding fabric, which... Um, uh, listeners won't be able to see, but we're looking coming down, extending down the gallery, a very long piece of fabric that's made out of many parts. Um, why this motif for you guys? Well, we've got we've got a funny analogy that we actually came up with earlier, which was we we kind of like Velcro, you know, because Velcro is what we use to install the signs up on the wall. But the road so, sign work, yeah. Yeah, so we like heaps of hooks kind of working together to share the load, you know, so we can take a heavy weight together. So when we make work together, we with, we do it with the idea of making something that we could never accomplish on our own. Beautiful. Yeah, so this is a series of um, individually um, put together. Each one's sewn, they're just tape strips that are sewn together and then done in multiplies, um, multiples. It's kind of a process of meiosis or something. This work, this particular work we were, because um, we're looking at the, com- the sort of commemoration of World War One. Oh, okay. Um, we looked... That's why we decided to look at cow cow as a representation of sort of its, its symbolism that's used in the military. The cow cow is. Yeah, yeah. well, it's a, a chevron, so cow cow means chevron. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. And um, customarily, also, it can um, also be a, a stance that's adopted in childbirth, um, and huh. also a, a warrior stance of strength. Looking back, when we were researching over history, that we saw a sort of an invisibility around women's stories to do with war right. and so we thought by using the chevron it was a nice way to kind of bring that back into it. You don't just work in a sculptural way but also in video and, and, mm-hmm. and in a work. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about which is to do with surveillance. Mm, um, yeah well that's that's part of my um, doctoral research. Unregistered and unwarranted I think was the yeah, word. Yeah so originally that was actually um, that was an installation in a gallery. Um, it was a it was a van a Suzuki fan that I sort of stripped apart and then put it back together um, to turn it into a kind of pseudo-surveillance vehicle. And um, then in that, within that work, um, there was a, a um, multimedia display that went on the windscreen. So it was, the idea was, um, you know that the old school kind of special effect that you had in film of a couple sitting in a car and behind them you can see, there's just a screen yeah. that's showing the road. So I kind of reversed it so that you could sit inside the vehicle and look out through the windscreen and you watch the film play out of the road in front of you. And the film itself was set in the Wairarapa, which is where I'm from, in Greytown, driving through Greytown. And 
the, I incorporated a kind of animation that grew and intensified as the film um, progressed. So at the end, there was no landscape that could be seen. It was just a series of data that had been collected throughout right. the journey and, and that ended up sort of taking over the whole sort of picture. And what was that work inspired by? Um, well, it, it's, to do with, it's to do with the research around surveillance and the effects on community. Um, I'm really interested in how um, it modifies behaviour. And it's my first interest in surveillance stems from the terror raids. Right. Um, so it's going back quite a few years now. You've got now. White raids, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there were many many families raided and um, our house was one of those in, in Palmerston North. Oh wow, okay. So um, when the affidavit came out and we really got to see uh, um, in depth the, um, the extent of surveillance that had gone on, uh, it was quite chilling. And you know, in recent years it's, it's just intensified, you know, with the NSA and the Edward Snowden leaks. And so it's something that's happening on a, on a global level, but at the same it's quite local for us how it's affected small indigenous communities like that of, you know, um, mm. Ruatoke. And um, I'm just really interested in how, how that, what it looks like and how it's going to keep affecting us and changing the way we behave. Was there kind of a sense for you that it's, because that's so personal that as an artist you had to respond to it? I mean, I'm kind of interested in this tension between being an artist and being an activist or what the agency of the art is for you as a way of responding to it. Yeah, it, it's it's personal, and sometimes it feels a little bit hard to talk about. I feel a little bit vulnerable about it, but it's yeah. something that I'm really interested in, really fascinated by. Well, there's sort of a sense of that a little bit here with Toy Pointy, with that kind of, as you're saying, that kind of mix between the hard and the soft, the kind of need to envelope and kind of bring community as well, that kind of positive side as, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm interested in how that worked in terms of in a gallery, putting a van into a gallery, how you found people reacted to that as a way of I know, viewing a video? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I wanted the, um, people to have a, a little bit of privacy. The, the van's really small, so you can really only get one or two people in at a time. Right. So it's quite an intimate space. And there was also uh, a soundtrack playing um, that kind of was quite encompassing, quite enveloping as well. And uh, I just wanted to provide a private space within a public setting for people mm. to maybe contemplate and just not even necessarily look at the work but just sit and have time. So I've, I've adapted it and changed it for different scenarios and situations and also done some performance work with it. Okay. But, yeah. And the work I believe has been to a New York venue I-Beam for a, an, an event over there which sound, sounds really interesting, a sort of an artist slash activist event. Could you talk, yeah. tell us a little bit about that? It sounds really fascinating. Well, it, it, it went over about four days. The exhibition lasted about over about 12 days, I think, in IBEAM. But it was really cool in the way that they had workshops, so it was interactive. And they had a series of panel discussions and talks um, in addition to the exhibition. So it provided a space for people to really um, just hear, a, you know, um, from the experts in their field, you know, around cryptography and the way yeah. people were resisting, finding resistance to surveillance because it is something that's evolving so quickly. The work was not, was it presented in the van there? I'm suggesting maybe not. How, how, was, it, how was it presented? No, Just... well, so they, they put out the expression of interest and it was about four weeks before the actual event started. And so I quickly got this proposal in and th- then thought, oh, crap, you know. 
um, how, am I, how am I actually going to you know, negotiate this? So I took a video of the van. So um, uh-huh. the, the, the film that's shown on the windscreen is framed by the van itself. And then that's what was shown at iBeam. Okay. Mm-hmm. My producer, Mark Williams, was telling me before that they ended up putting subtitles on the work, but there were some issues around interpretation. Yeah, well, th- th- it was, um, yeah, it was very interesting. Um, so in my initial proposal, I also proposed to do a presentation. Uh, and they weren't really um, having artists present. They um, were kind of filled up with other other. Um, other sorts of speakers so there wasn't the opportunity for me to do a talk and um, I think that would have provided a bit more context around it so instead Mm. um, as a last minute kind of reshuffling um, it was suggested that I um, put the story into the actual work itself and uh, yeah it was it was hard it's not something that I would have normally done but in the as a last minute kind of thing yeah it worked. So it ended up being a kind of narrative that provided a context huh. for the video. Almost like a wall label but embedded maybe into the work? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Okay. I tried to imagine it um, to be like a narrative at the start of the film, you know, like at the start of Terminator 2 when she's, <laughs> she's you know, looking back and going, this is what happened then. <laughs> <laughs> That completes CircuitCast. Thanks to our guests. CircuitCast has been produced by circuit.org.nz with the assistance of Creative New Zealand and with music by Orchestra of Spheres. Hare da.